Hey, flamethrowers, Shireen here. I'm so happy to have Chris Mosier on with me today for a hot take. We're going to be discussing some pretty intense things. So just also a content warning for people. We'll be talking about um, persecution of trans youth in the United States. Uh, If you don't know Chris Mosier, you should. He's a trailblazing transgender athlete and thought leader on LGBTIQ2S plus inclusion in sports. He is a Hall of Fame triathlete, All-American duathlete, national champion race walker, transgender advocate, highly regarded speaker, policymaker, brand consultant, and and the Chicago-based superstar is also a lover of Queen Herbie's music. Chris. (laughs) But what he is not, though, (laughs) what he is not is not a karaoke expert. He does not do karaoke. That is is the honest truth. I, I will not be, I will watch, but I will not be picking up that microphone. Okay. Um, yeah. So now that I know what we're not doing when we hang out, um, thank you so much for talking to me today. I know that you have been in a lot of demand lately and not necessarily for the great topic either. Yeah, it's challenging, but I definitely appreciate you raising awareness and, and having this having this discussion about this topic, because I feel like with the news cycle being so turbulent and fast moving right now with so many different things happening and so many different areas for our attention to go to a lot of the conversation about what is happening to trans youth across the country and trans Mm -hmm. people in general has has really been uh brushed over and very quickly passed so i appreciate you having this conversation and i just i want to start there with like how are you doing because i know i'm probably your 7,000th interview in the last little while how are you I'm hanging in there. I, I am tired. I will be honest. I had uh, I was in Minnesota yesterday for a rally, uh, drove six and a half hours each way to speak for my five minute piece, but also had the opportunity to meet with some incredible trans kids and their families. And that is really sort of the work that gives me life right now is is having that connection to community. It was so nice to see all the people there in support of the trans community. And just before that, I was in four different states from Friday to Saturday evening uh, doing you know, this work. So uh, I'm excited to take a nap after this, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, des- well deserved. So as we dive into it, we just want to I want to set the tone for those that don't know. Very recently, um, Texas had passed a law that was basically attacking parental decisions and family choices for gender affirming care for trans kids. And Qualifying it as abuse of parents of these children who identify differently and don't succumb to gender norms. And I know that you've been visiting a lot of states lately and have been interacting. This must be, as a parent myself, it was horrifying to see. And I'm in Canada, I'm in a city outside of Toronto called Mississauga. And as a parent, it's it's horrifying to watch in this day and age. There's so many things that you say, well, I can't believe this is happening and that is happening. But truly, you love your child and want what's best for them. And the fact that you can't make a decision, it's so much more about that because you tweeted something today that said, this isn't about best practices of medicine. It's not about sport. It is specifically about not wanting trans kids to grow up to be trans adults. And that, that just hit. Can we, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I I was doing a little bit of digging in today and saw that over half of the states that passed anti-trans sports bills into law in the past two years Over half of those states have now moved on to attacking 
trans youth and healthcare. And so, you know, number wise, we're looking at 11 states now at this moment of recording have passed anti-trans sports bills into law. Two of them this year, South Dakota, which already had one from last year, and Iowa is the newest one in 2022. And in 2020, our first anti-trans sports bill became law with Idaho right before everything shut down for COVID-19. So we're at 11 states right now, and over half of them have shifted their attacks now that they have solidified excluding trans kids from sports from K through 12 or K through college. We're now attacking their ability to access healthcare in really, really scary ways. And so when I say this is not just about sports, we know it's not just about sports because there's no problem with trans people participating in sports. There's no global takeover or dominance of transgender athletes. There's, <laughs> there are so few of us out there um, and in state after state, lawmakers can't name a single trans athlete in their state, but they're still pushing forward these bills uh, with, with such intensity and such focus on the trans community that's really, really disturbing. But this shift this year that is extremely troubling to moving towards these anti-trans healthcare bills is that we are trying, you know, it's very clear that they're trying to make sure that trans kids don't grow up to be transgender adults. It's not about sports. It's not about medicine. It's about making sure that trans people are erased and eradicated from our society. And that's what is really, really alarming because these bills are moving so quickly. And as we mentioned at the top, the attention to this issue just hasn't been paid this year. It hasn't been amplified by corporations taking action. It hasn't been moved by uh, individuals making testimony. And we're just in a position where people are playing politics with an entire group of people's identity. Yeah, I wanted to, like the violence with which, and I'll use the word violence because that's what it is, of this particular policy being pushed through. But I also have questions about and concerns with the way media is not addressing this like we are we have talked about trans issues on this podcast generally as a practice but that's not to say yay us it's to say listen it's a part of the discussion within sports and it's not hit enough in mainstream media and why do you think that is as someone who can speak so well to the media but understands you know the the way that media works as well why do you think this is not being reported enough yeah and it, it is being reported a lot and so like let's start there I would say 90% of the coverage has come from anti-trans groups and okay. yeah. right, right, right-leaning media <laughs> okay. coverage. And so if we look at something like Leah Thomas's participation in the NCAA right now, which you covered very well on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. that what we're seeing is that the right-leaning media articles are coming out and they're, they're not news pieces. We need to be really clear about that. Mm-hmm. They are propaganda. Mm-hmm. This is extremely one-sided, quote unquote, reporting, which is basically putting forth an anti-trans view. And when we are living in this world where tweets are tweets are news and people only read the headlines, what they're getting is this really sensationalized version of trans people as bad, as threat, as monsters, as the end of women's sports, um, you know, and, and that's what people are consuming. So Part of it is that the media has fueled itself into this space where the common narrative in society is that trans people are bad or wrong or our identities are not valid or real. And that's what the reporting has said and that's what people are reading. And the other piece of that is that there's just a, a real lack of 
good sourcing and good reporting on the issue, even from our friendly LGBTQ publications and mm-hmm. uh, you know middle publications. So the fact that we're not listening to trans people talk about their experiences and talk about how this is impacting them. We're not hearing from the experts in the LGBTQ space or in the sports space who are working on this every single day. Mm-hmm. All we're hearing are those few very loud voices of dissent or uh, in a lot of cases discussed about our presence, our existence and our living in this world. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I stand in solidarity with trans communities, I'm from a community myself where we're spoken of and not to, we're spoken at, not included, whether it's about, you know, Islamophobia, immigration, anything like subjugation of women, which is commonly misunderstood as a Muslim woman who chooses to cover. Like I often, you know, I see that. So I totally understand that there are experts in the field. So media, if you're listening, seek them out. Find out who they are. And, you know, Chris, you need to take that nap soon because hopefully your phone will be ringing off the hook too. Sorry about that. Um, not really. But the point is, is that seek that them out because I find that sometimes, and this is, you know, murmurings and newsrooms, oh, it's a complicated issue that we don't understand. So Erica, we don't touch it, but that's not helpful for anybody. And that as your job as a journalist is to report on it accurately and fairly. So do that. Um, I do want to break down this idea that you talked about of end of women's sports, because it's a narrative that's often used in anti-trans propaganda that you mentioned. What There's no legs to stand on for this. So there's really not, like you said, policymakers that are anti-trans can't name a single athlete with the dreaded takeover, with the memes that come out of like very, you know, masculine looking sort of figures with against very femme looking figures. And like, what, where does this come from? What's the history there? Yeah, it's, it, it's, such a, it's such a problem with the way that this has been spun. And we have to talk about that first is that, you know, it's important to say this is a coordinated effort mm-hmm. on, on the conservative side with organizations that are funding research studies and message testing different points to see what resonates with their voter base. They are copying and pasting these bills So over the last three years, we've seen the bills that have come out both about sports and about healthcare have been what we sort of deem like coming from a bill mill, which is sort of like a puppy mill, but it's with legislation Mm -hmm. that they just copy and paste. They just print them off and distribute them and whoever will pick them up, you know, that's that's great for them. So this has been a really well-funded project that folks have found really resonates with their voter base and lawmakers have really taking it and run, especially in these in the lead up to different elections, so primaries and midterm elections. So it is absolutely about politics. Mm-hmm. This idea around the end of women's sports, and particularly as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX, mm-hmm. has, has really been a talking point that has resonated very well, especially when they have been able to uh, position you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the photo that just came out in Iowa when the Iowa governor signed her anti-trans sports bill into law. And the entire background behind her was young cisgender white girls. And so that's sort of this idea of protecting women and girls is, is this idea of protecting white femininity and the, mm-hmm. the sort of fragility of being a white woman 
mm-hmm. as, as part of being wrapped up in the sports. And that's an important call out because what we see with these anti-trans sports bills, the people that they're impacting the most are of course, trans people, mm-hmm. but also black and brown and indigenous women mm-hmm. who suffer from the policing of their bodies, whether mm-hmm. they're transgender or not. And so when we think about the number of people who are actually in sports and the number of people that these bills uh, policing people's bodies, allowing people to question whether or not someone is actually a woman to be able to play in women's sports and, and also determining what that means to be quote unquote, actually a woman. A lot of the impact comes on people whose gender expression is a little more masculine or Mm -hmm. is not within that idea of white femininity. And so we see people like Castor Semenya suffer from, you know, this, even though she's not transgender, we see even more recently in, in Tokyo, 2021, 2020 slash 2021, we, we see Shikari Richardson, Mm. the very first thing that, that came up when Shikari Richardson won prior to all of the sort of issues with WADA was that if you typed in her name, it said Shikari Richardson, a man. And so we, there's something really about, about black excellence, about woman excellence, that there's a ceiling as to which, you know, how, how excellent can a, a woman athlete be before she's no longer considered a woman? The same uh, conversation happened with Serena Williams. Uh, it, you yeah. know, there was cartoons mocking her, putting her in incredibly, incredibly uh, sort of hyper, you know, masculine physique and you know I don't want to say that the author in England of Harry Potter who shall not be named she actually came out in defense of that but then that all went down negatively like just in such a way where you're talking about straight white women are actually really dangerous in the way and listen I'm a racialized woman you don't got to tell me about that but Mm -hmm. the ways in which uh that power is politicized and it becomes extremely dangerous against marginalized communities. And so you're right, that photo, I remember seeing it. And also like how heartbreaking it is, you know, for parents and for families, because we're also, let's be very clear about this. We're also talking about children. Right, and that's a big part of this issue is that what we've seen in the last two years in particular is that this idea of the very elite of the elite performers in the Olympics and Paralympic games are having, you know, cisgender men's times compared to cisgender women's times, or even, you know, one of the things that typically comes out in these uh, legislatures is comparing Allison Felix's time to high school boys, cisgender boys, mm-hmm. track times in high, yeah, in high school. And, and, you know, we're not talking about the same things here. And so that's the, the first thing is that we can't be comparing statistics on cisgender people and applying them to transgender folks because it's not the same. Right. And then the other piece of that is that we can't be taking Olympic level policies and the performance of the most elite performers in the world and applying them to eighth graders or you know sophomores in high school and saying that this is what the policy should be because the goals of sport and the intention of sport and what we should be getting out of it are completely different. So one of the things that I did as somebody who's, you know, of course I'm in Canada and I not to say that at all. This is something that is not dealt with. There's absolute, you know, different levels of transphobia in this country as well. But to watch and to see people in panic in Texas, for example, and how devastating that must be to you, but to watch and the advice that families are getting are to 
like basically leave their homes. Is that yeah. kind of what happened? Did families just pack up and leave? You have to think so many people just can't just pack up and leave. Their entire right. life is there. And, yeah. you know, it's incredibly expensive and not possible for everyone, nor should it have to be. Um, you know, it is heartbreaking to watch this and to say I get messages every day from kids who are terrified and parents telling me that their kids are having nightmares and that they're making safe files. There are families in Texas who have been advised to make safe files. Which What's say, a safe file? So it would be uh, basically a file hidden somewhere in your house that has your child's birth certificate and medical information, as well as letters from family friends saying that you're a good parent and letters from your kid's school, like saying that you take care of your kid and take them to school. And all of this is basically just a file of information that says that you are a good parent and that you love and affirm your kid because parents are terrified that their kids are going to be ripped away from them for yeah. doing their job as a parent. Mm -hmm. loving and affirming your kid as exactly who they are is the best thing that a parent could do. Mm -hmm. That is a parent's job. And, you know, Texas government has stepped in with this opinion that, you know, and while, you know, it's important to say that this is, this was an opinion that was issued by the attorney general and it has no impact. It doesn't change the actual law, but in sharing their opinion, Ken Paxton, you know, left it to the courts to interpret Texas laws in the constitution. Right. And then governor Abbott came through with his opinion, which essentially said that he wants people to start enforcing this. And while it's not law. And so, you know, parents and families need to know that, that it's not actually in the, the legal writings. What has happened is that people have started taking action. There are children's hospitals in Texas that have stopped providing care to transgender youth who have been on care, have, have abruptly ended their ability to access care because those doctors don't want to be accused of, you know, providing felony level care for a trans kid. And that's what it's become, the, the felony. It's become, a, it's become a crime to, 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 to practice. And, and just to clarify, um, teachers as well and medical staff and frontliners are now under obligation to report those families and children in particular. Yeah, so again, it's not, this is not a law. And so okay. the, all of the attempts of, of making this a law in the past years, and this has been an obsession of Governor Abbott as mm -hmm. he's been trying to ramp up his own political career. Mm -hmm. You know, none of this is actually written into law, but there's so much confusion around it that medical practitioners are terrified that they're license will be taken away right. if they do if they do their jobs if they provide best practice medical care that has been approved and endorsed by every major medical association in the country and so you know it's the it's the level of fear of not knowing what will happen because mm -hmm. this is all escalated so quickly that has people making decisions about protecting their own business or their own families that is leaving trans youth in a really precarious position and so that whole idea of medical care being withheld by, you know, frontliners and healthcare who have taken an Hippocratic oath to like protect and care for, I mean, does that, that includes mental health care as well, I'm assuming. Because it's not a law, it doesn't implicitly include that, but mental health, well, mental health care is a part of gender affirming care for right. many people. And, and it's an important part of, I, I mean, I am a, I'm an advocate for mental health and for seeing therapists. And I would say it's good for every single person. You don't have to be trans to benefit from seeing a mental health professional, 
And well, we all have therapists on board at all day. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm a hundred percent for that. And it's terrifying to think that, that young people wouldn't have access to the tools that could help them live a better life mm-hmm. and, and to help navigate all of the incredibly difficult things that young people are experiencing right now, living through a global pandemic with, you know, for some of them, their very first experience of knowing about war in a way that's really public to them or being impacted by the conversations about war. And so, you know, when we, when we add all of these things together, it, it makes for a really um, incredible time of need for mental health services for young people. Um, and one, just jumping back to the point where you said about you get emails and text messages from young people, when they reach out to you, what do you tell them when they, they say they're having nightmares or they're scared for their safety or they're confused? And what do you tell them? I mean, it's incredibly challenging, uh, particularly, you know, but it's, it's, it's challenging for both the young people and for the adults, I think, to, I, I basically try to provide support and just let them know that, you know, I'm out here and I want to serve as a sort of possibility model for young people to know that it's possible to grow up and be a happy, successful trans adult and that you can be loved and you can find love and you can be loved by your family and friends and have a great community and a successful career. And you can pursue your passions without having to give up any piece of who you are. And I know that that's not very comforting to them when they're concerned that they are going to be taken away from their parents because their parents are providing them with the care that they need. But I think it's also important for me to, to instill a little bit of hope in them. And, um, you know, because I, I think, I think hope is a form of resistance right now. And I think joy is a form of resistance for trans people because the whole goal of these bills is to try to make it so that the world is, is so hostile to us that we do not exist. That, that we will decide to not be trans because it will be too difficult to do so. It's to try to eliminate trans people. But taking away sports isn't gonna make me not be trans and it's not gonna make a kid not be trans. And taking away our ability to access healthcare is not going to make us not be transgender. It's just gonna make our life incredibly more challenging. And so by, by telling trans people to lean into their joy to celebrate their victories and accomplishments and celebrate the love that they have for themselves and other people in their community. That is a form of resistance. That is a form of advocacy and activism that I think is so incredibly important right now. And that's what I want to encourage young people to do because the trans community has always been here and we will, and, and we have been under attack for in, in different forms for many, many years, but we always, always overcome. And part of that is because of our reliance upon our community. And we will continue to support each other and uplift each other and make sure that young people have the care that they need and that families have the, the, the support that they need as well. And so my hope is that none of this stops young people from living their best lives. I love that everything from the possibility model to leaning into joy and like literally will stand beside you in solidarity and sharing in your joy. Because that's what it is. And I absolutely agree that 
resistance and and joy and happiness and love are forms, very powerful. Self-care is a form of resistance. And as Audre Lorde said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And that's what we need right now. All the love, all the self-care, everything that we need to do. And I have two more questions of you because I'm mindful of time, but also how are you taking care of yourself right now? Oh, you know, I, I'm actually kind of impressed. I've, I've nearly cried during this interview, but I have not. And you know, part of it is just allowing myself to feel the feels because this is an incredibly challenging time for us. And, and it would be disingenuous for me to not cry when I feel like it, because I like, I, I, I am incapable of expressing my love for trans kids and my community without becoming emotional. Mm. And I think that that's uh, an amazing superpower, you know, to, to be able to just feel so deeply. So I think the way that I've been taking care of myself is I am quite literally going to take a nap after this <laughs> because I'm exhausted, but uh, my training becomes a, a space for me to really, to really take care of myself. And I'm training right now for my next Team USA World Championship and coming back from hip surgery. So I've had this incredible journey in the last six months to, you know, go from the couch basically to coming back to world championship shape. And there, there are moments in there that are really meditative for me and really uh, helpful in centering and grounding myself in not only my own personal expression of joy through movement, but also in knowing that there is so much positive benefit for my community in me being present on on this team, on Team USA, representing our country internationally, when at the same time, a younger version of me is not able to play sports with their friends in school. Yeah, no, I love that. And of course, we wish you all the success and joy to get to that place. Um, And then I'm also very cognizant that you carrying this mantle and fighting for justice for not just your community, but others that you mentioned, because our liberation is tied. And so when you do that, it does make a difference in other ones. And I feel this very deeply. Um, What can our, Chris, what can our listeners do when we're sitting up here in Canada or somewhere else? We have global listeners, like our friends in Australia, our friends in Germany. What can they do in this particular situation? It's important to say that while I'm talking pretty specifically about the attacks in the United States on trans kids, that these attacks are happening globally. They're happening around the world. And while in Canada, I will say you have uh, some pretty great sport policies and, and people who study sport policies in Canada, there certainly are impacts of transphobia, homophobia, biphobia, and, and the erasure of all of these people in sports and in life. And so part of it is familiarizing yourself with the global context here. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that are happening in the United States have been fueled by UK-based hate groups. Mm. And, and, you know, the, as you mentioned, this is an intersectional movement. So there are organizations that are not only trying to keep trans kids out of sport, but their other focuses are keeping transgender women in men's prisons and making sure that trans people can't change their gender markers on their IDs. And so all of this is related because you know, when we're talking about attacks on bodily autonomy, it's not just about trans people. It extends to cisgender women, to people who can be pregnant, to, you know, all, all different types of communities. And so our interse- the intersections of our movements are really, really important. I would recommend that everybody check out transathlete.com, which is my website where I track anti-trans policies 
and uh, I track all policies for trans inclusion and support, but a lot of the focus has been ways that people can take action in mm. fighting some of the bad policies in both the sports space and the medical space um, right now. And then also please follow me online at the Chris Mosier for updates. And you know, while it is pretty North American centric, uh, there are definitely opportunities to be involved to take action around the world. And I try to keep up on all of those as well. And I can't begin to thank you. I don't even know if words would be justice for coming on today and talking to us about it and, you know, sort of leading us to where we need to go and what we need to be doing. And I think it's something, this is part of not only a conversation that needs to be paid attention to within the world sports, but beyond, because as we know, sports is a vehicle to so many other things and so many other conversations about justice within the world. And so again, I thank you so much. You have our full support and solidarity on this team. That's for sure. So. Thank you. Sport is absolutely a vehicle for social change. And that has been the platform on which I have tried to you know, create my own change in different areas. And it's important that you just said that because while I always think of it in the positive way of if I, so if I can make people see me as a trans person in sports and maybe change their minds about what it means to be trans or who trans people are, maybe that will help, you know, this kid in a classroom in some, in some area that I don't live in. But what we're seeing is that these attacks on the, tra on the trans community through sports from lawmakers who hate trans people have also created this incredible social change. And so we are up against a lot right now. And I'm really, really grateful that you took the time to elevate this on your platform. And additionally, I'm absolutely gonna hold you to the promise that we get another podcast together to talk <laughs> about joy and talk about other positive things. Happy uh, things. Happy things. I mean, you know, the thing is, and, and you know this, like it's so important to find joy even in these, in, in these moments of sadness and unrest and uh, severe political attacks. And so, you know, it, joy, is a, joy is a revolutionary act and, and I'm excited to spend a dedicated 30 minutes talking with you about that at 100%. some other time. <laughs> I, in my new uh, role at CBC Sports in Canada, they uh, came up with this suggestion and we shared an idea about me doing an online newsletter. It's, sorry, it's not a newsletter, an online notebook. So it's just an entry of all the awesome things I have seen and done in the week. So if you have the time and the bandwidth, I file it on Thursdays. You are always welcome to send me something that brought you joy. And I'm happy to share it in this, in this online notebook entry because I love this. It's absolutely when we work at the intersections of very deep and important discussions that are also extremely taxing and, you know, sometimes soul crushing. I'm so grateful to you for saying that because I believe it's called joy drop and I will absolutely keep you in mind. And I, in fact, I will dedicate this week's online notebook entry to you. And I, I don't want to give you more tasks. That's absolutely not what I want to do, <laughs> but you know what? Maybe I'll put queen Herbie in there and maybe I'll listen to some of that or I'll eat some peanut noodles, which you also suggested. So, um, maybe I'll hit up a vegan restaurant this week and, and keep there you posted. Go. There you go. So thank you for sharing that. And people remember dissemination of information is key. Knowledge is power. So please share this episode and follow Chris Mosier on every platform and thank you for being with us again, Chris, today for this hot take. Thank you so much. This podcast episode was produced by Tressa Firstag and Shelby Walden is our social media manager. Burn It All Down podcast is a part of the Blue Wire podcast family.